0: Welcome to Building Conversations, a construction podcast powered by the STO Building Group, and Episode 2 of Structure Tone's 50th Anniversary Oral History Series. If you heard the first Oral History episode, you know that Structure Tone is STO Building Group's legacy brand, and it all started in New York City in 1971. To celebrate the company reaching 50 years of building. We've recorded over 30 current and former employees telling their Structure Tone stories. From firsthand accounts of building in the 1980s, rebuilding after 9/11, and creating a lasting company culture. We've covered it all, and we'll be releasing the highlights in an oral history series over the next several months. In episode 1, we spoke with Structure Tone founder Patrick J. Donahue about what it was like immigrating to the US, navigating his early career, meeting his partner, Louis Marino, and building a business based on doing the right thing. He took us through Structure Tone's first few years, explaining how the company went from a brand new name in the New York City construction market to giving well-established CMs a run for their money. In fact, Mr. Donaghy told us the company was growing so fast that by the late 1970s, he and Mr. Marino knew they needed to invest in people who could support the firm's growth and mission. One of those people was lifelong builder, Mr. John White. Mr. White joined the company in 1977 to manage field operations and remained a fixture at Structure Tone, walking job sites and mentoring the next generation until he was well into his 70s. I'm
1: John White, known in the business as Johnny White. I giant Structure Town as a partner back in 1977.
0: Mr. White was born and raised in Currie County, Sligo, Ireland. His family ran a limestone quarry, which he considers his intro to the industry.
1: We had a stone, limestone quarry on our property, and the county used to buy stone from us. And during the early years, there'd be 10 or 15, 20 people working in there. It was manual labor with a lot of hard work.
0: Like Mr. Donaghy, for Mr. White, construction was in his blood. At 17, he moved to London looking for work and found it in a construction firm that allowed him to gain hands-on experience while building all across the country.
1: We traveled from job to job. First, I was like laboring, and second year I was there, I was a foreman, and I was a foreman with him on the day I
0: left. Mr. White then immigrated to the United States and landed in the Bronx. He worked construction in New York City for several years, and eventually connected with Mr. Donaghy through Structure Tone's investor, Jim Morrow, and other mutual friends in the industry. When we asked Mr. White about his first few days in charge of field operations, he recalled the company's fresh and exciting atmosphere.
1: When I joined Structure Tone, we were young, full of energy, full of spit and fire, and we were grown.
0: Mr. White immediately understood the value of Mr. Donaghy and Mr. Marino's client-first vision.
1: Both Pat and Lou was client-first. The client was always right, in regardless how fussy they were or whatever, they were always right, and they came first. Whatever you promised that client, or whatever schedule you had, you made damn sure it was held, it was done, and done on time and done in quality. That's the trademark.
0: And over the years, he ensured that philosophy was fully integrated throughout Structure Tone's operations division by becoming the company's champion of quality.
1: Well, there's only one way to build a job. That's the right way. When something you you do half, it's never right. You can't ever fix it.
0: And whenever something went wrong on site, Mr. White's approach was hands-on.
1: If you want to know what's happening, go see it, go feel it. I tried with moving in, something was. It wasn't right. There's only one way to do it—not over the phone. You went and you seen it, you felt it, you rubbed it, and you took care of it.
0: In fact, Mr. White was known for stopping in on jobs regularly to ensure the level of quality was up to par, and somehow everyone knew when he was there.
1: I'd be up there at seven o'clock in the morning, or maybe six thirty, and I'd walk the floor, and there was maybe the whole building—I start at the top and down. And used to smoke a pipe. <laughs> they come into work and I can
2: smell
0: <laughs> In fact, Mr. White went out of his way to not only be there and around the workers on site, but to make sure everyone on the job felt valued.
1: Subcontractors are like employees. If you treat them with respect, pay them what they're supposed to get paid. Treat them as... Partners in their job, you'll always have them. The bottom line is you're only as good as your people are. And you're only as good as you manage them. Because you need harmony on a job site. You need harmony in the home. You need harmony, period.
0: And the family culture that Mr. Donaghy and Mr. White cultivated is still at the root of Structure Tone's culture to this day.
1: My philosophy always was, treat your people right. First and foremost. And if they have a problem home, try and help them out. If they had a family problem, likewise. And if they had to have time off, you made time off. You treat them as individuals, as part of the family. It works. It always did.
0: With Mr. White as partner in charge of field operations and Mr. Donaghy's client-first philosophy guiding day-to-day decisions, business skyrocketed in the 1980s and 90s. From there, it wasn't long before the Donahue and White children got familiar with construction, New York City, and their dad's tone family. In this episode, we'll be hearing from one of Patrick Donahue's sons, Jim Donahue, and John White's sons, John White Jr., and Eugene White, all of whom are still with the company today.
3: I'm Jim Donahue. I'm executive chairman of the STO Building Group. I grew up uh, in Baldwin, Long Island by Hempstead. When we were young, we moved to Rockland County, to Stony Point, Rockland County, upstate New York. I was probably in third grade when we moved up there. You know, countryside and lots of woods and less developed. My father and mother, I think, did a good thing for the family to move us into an area that really was where you can, as a kid, run pretty free. (laughs) It was pretty much as much freedom as you could ever want as a kid. That was the 1970s, so very different. And in the 70s, we would have started to, you know, on occasion, be brought to a job site and we would see lots of the Structured Tone family members, my father's colleagues or partner. We'd visit their house or they'd visit our house or we'd see each other at the company picnic which was all family driven. It was, um, you know, everyone really got to know each other and it felt truly like an extended family.
4: Hi, I'm John White. I'm the Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of the Sharkstone Regional Offices.
2: Hi, I'm Eugene White, Executive Vice President of Client Relations for STO Building Group.
0: Both families were based in Rockland County, New York. And for the Donahies and the Whites, a trip to New York City always meant visiting a handful of job sites.
2: City was a very exciting place, especially for, you know, kid growing up in the sticks. Opportunities on the weekends to come into the city, typically to walk a job that needed attention on the weekends with my father, and at the time somebody called Mike Tobin. Oftentimes on a Saturday morning, they'd meet in White Plains at a diner, and I'd tag along and we'd go down 95, hit a couple of the jobs that were outside the city limits, and then eventually make our way into uh, town. Usually move in weekends, and or close to it, trying to get to that point. And uh, that's when I first had the opportunity to really capture what it was that my dad did for a living.
4: Well, that started even before Structure Tone for me, because I always used to love coming into work with my dad when I was off from school. And of course, many of the people that came to work for Structure Tone were the people I would meet out on these job sites. And back then, the beepers, if anyone knows what a beeper is, was the size of a walkie-talkie. So whenever I used to come into the office with my father, uh, I would wear his beeper all day and we'd walk jobs because that's what my father was always known for was getting out, walking the project, spending time with the clients, even more importantly, spending time with the trades and the supers. It was very rare that you would walk a job with our father that he didn't go around and shake the hands of a half a dozen workers that he knew because guess what, that's where he started.
3: It was night and day from where I was growing up. It was just hustle and bustle like you see in the movies. I was given some lunch money and told, you know, be back later in the day. We could stroll around the city, me and one of my brothers. You know, sometimes we're invited to walk a job site and got the chance to be on a job site. You know, it was pretty neat at that age to have this other family activity going on that I just took for granted. It seemed to be normal to me. Looking back, obviously, it was not normal for everybody to to come into New York City and be able to walk job sites.
0: Mr. Donaghy and Mr. White were both heavily involved in Structure Tone's day-to-day, which meant Jim, John, and Eugene saw firsthand the level of commitment and hard work it took to succeed in this industry.
2: Well, listen, my dad would be the first one to admit and say I was the nosy one, right? I was always intrigued and in trying to figure out what he was up to and what he was doing. And my first glimmer into that would be looking at the note cards that would be on the inside of his pocket that he'd take home in a suit, you know. And I tried to understand what it was he was documenting. And I had this idea in my head that he must be a big businessman. But I was somewhat disappointed reading the note cards when it would say corner guard, second floor, east side. You know, needs to get replaced, or ceiling tiles need to be touched up. You know, in the foyer, and uh, what I then recognize is that you know he must have something to do with quality control, and uh, then that kind of segued into a lot of uh, a lot of time in foam boots in 85, 90 degree weather on our vacations. So um, I'm sure, as John can attest to. Uh, We could probably to this day tell you where every phone booth was in the Catskill Mountains or the uh, Jersey Shore on Long Beach Island because going back to the beeper days, right, this is before email and before cell phones. And when that beeper would go off, no matter where we were in either the commute to a vacation or during the vacation, we were in a phone booth. He was getting calls for help, typically from the project teams on the job site saying, we need to push here. We need you to add some pressure with a sub here or Can you follow up with this client and and let them know what we're up to and what we're facing on the job site? And it was fascinating listening to those conversations. Um, That was my first glimmer into really understanding that it wasn't just somebody walking jobs and writing down what the problems were, but it was really all about moving the needle and helping the teams at the job site level. And bring in that level of confidence to the client side that you know somebody senior not only was paying attention but could actually tell you the details at any given time of you know what the challenges were on the job side and what we were doing as a, as a team.
4: Construction was you know what his DNA was. I mean, when we first moved up to the the country, Rockland County, you know, my father was one who built his own two-car garage. So we watched it on a very personal level that it wasn't just. Um, what he did for a living, but it's, it's what he did in his life. Um, and we always joked about it, you know, a couple of the big additions on our first house in Rockland <laughs> County. If you looked at some of the work product, if some of it was, you know, plywood from sidewalk sheds that we did that would, if you picked up the carpet, you saw the paint from, from what was, uh, you know, out on the sidewalk of New York or, or one of the doors was a big Herculite door that uh, he got off of a job. So certainly uh, watching that day in and day out you know, the, the downside of it was he was always working. And so, you know, my father normally didn't get home till eight or nine o'clock, and that was even if he didn't have a rubber chicken dinner with clients. But it was just because the early days of structure tone, it was, you know, everybody was in the office at seven o'clock, if not earlier, and they weren't leaving the office till you know eight, eight thirty, again, if even if they weren't going out and entertaining. Uh, because Patton uh, my father really did a lot of the hands-on entertaining on a weekly basis, uh, but they always seem to make it home and then you know, back into the office the next day.
3: My father's generation, it was admirable to do what he did. There's nobody gonna fault him for what he did in terms of his hard work. Uh, what he did was uh, nothing short of uh, extraordinary. He took full advantage of the American dream, and I think when you were who he was as a kid growing up, In his mind, you know, he's thinking, I'll be damned if I'm going to give up this great opportunity. It'd be quite a waste. He'd only dream of that opportunity when he was in Ireland, and to have the opportunity presented to him in the way that that it was here, it wasn't handed to him, but it was there in front of him, and he saw it. And uh, I think he probably thought every day, I'm going to keep working the way I'm working for my family.
0: As they got older, the fun trips into the city to see their dads in action and visit job sites naturally turned into daily commutes to work during their summer breaks through high school and college.
3: In my mid-teens, I was on job sites as a laborer and working in the plan room and eventually as an estimator and kind of grew up in the company. I don't think there would be anybody in the company I didn't know by the time I started out of college. It was very much a first-name basis with just about everybody. Yeah, I don't think I thought of any other career path except for maybe sports. I thought for a moment in my life I might actually be able to play baseball. Of course, when you're a teenager, (laughs) you don't understand too many things, but uh, I, I was excited about the idea of I could work in the construction industry. It seemed like just a fun way to spend a day. It didn't seem like work to me, being able to build and being part of an office being built. 82, I was a sophomore, just
4: finished my sophomore year in high school. Uh, So that was the first time, uh, you know, I asked if I could come into work. And, you know, back then, not that we were making a lot of money, but you certainly were making more than you would do delivering newspapers. By the time I finished high school, um, I was working as an assistant super, or today we would call a plan clerk or or an RPE. But I also drove one of the vans for one summer. Uh, We had a woodwork shop out in Long Island City. I would uh, drive the van to Long Island City every morning, load it up with the millwork, and I learned a lot about the highways and the byways around New York City at a very young age, uh, delivering down to the World Trade Center and delivering to all the different streets.
0: And like all beginners, they each made a few mistakes along the way. You know, my first
3: paycheck, I I have a copy of the pay stub. It says $5 per hour. 1983, I, was, I guess I would have been maybe a sophomore in high school. And I just loved the idea of going down to the city and being a laborer. It was so cool to put on a laborer's outfit. You know, we had, to get, we had the full laborer's pants and an upper shirt. And one day I'd come in without my work boots, I wore sneakers, you know, lesson learned. I had a nail go through my foot. (laughs) It didn't start off smooth,
2: (laughs) I can tell you that. So John and I spent an awful lot of time sitting in a car outside of job sites through our life, waiting for our father uh, to come down or as he was walking jobs. And the first morning of my first day at Structure Tone uh, was early June, 1990 and 54th and 10th Avenue was Sony Sound Studios. Through that job, I I met Harry Connick Jr. and Mariah Carey and all kinds of fabulous artists that would walk the job, but first day, dad pulled up in front of the job site and said, sit in the car, I'll be right out. And of course, right out was like 45 minutes later, he's still not out, and I had not gotten up that time of the morning probably ever, uh, other than to go fishing. And so here we were, you know, it's still dark out in the streets, and I nodded off to uh, sleep in his car, and I woke up connected to a tow truck. So that's how <laughs> that's how my career started at Structure tow with uh, Dad pretty mad
4: at me before I even started. Uh, again, I was working for the summer, so I was in high school. Our office was on 38th Street uh, between 5th and Madison. The parking garage, which was literally across the street from the office, wouldn't open till. I think it was eight o'clock. So I'd gone in to report to Mike Tobin to find out where I was going to go labor for the day. And I was called upstairs to Pat's office or across the floor to Pat's office. And he threw me his keys and he goes, go go park my car once the garage opens. So I went back downstairs and I sat in his car. And again, like Eugene mentioned, fell asleep and didn't get towed. But when I woke up, there was a ticket on the window. (laughs) And so I parked the car, walked up to... Pat's office, which was always an intimidating uh, entry going into Pat's office, and I said, sorry, Mr. Donaghy, your car is parked, but I got a ticket, and I handed him the ticket, and I got out of that office as quickly as I could.
0: (laughs) Despite these hiccups early on, there were certainly high expectations that came with joining Structure Tone as a Donaghy or a White.
4: I'll never forget it. My father, you know, the day before I started to work My father said to me, he goes, okay, you're gonna start work tomorrow and if I ever hear a bad word about you, you're fired. (laughs) (laughs) So needless to say, that was the the other culture that we were dealing with was you better not make me look bad and you better work harder than anybody else.
3: I had an uncle once on a job site that said, don't you dare call me uncle so-and-so, you call me by my first name. And he really was mad at me, but I got the message loud and clear. I understood the point and it was a learning moment that I never forgot 30 years later, I'm sitting here talking about it. Uh, And that was probably within months or weeks coming out of college. He gave me a a nice ribbing for calling him uncle so-and-so. You know, it's not a family thing. I'm here by merit and you better be here by merit and you better do your job and I better do my job and we're not gonna let people feel like, you know, we're in the family and other people are not. And it was a good message.
0: And being held to this high standard pushed Jim, John, and Eugene to work even harder.
3: My memory of my 20s, which was most of the 90s, you know, I I realized I was probably a workaholic um, and not in a good way. Like, you know, you work until you can't work anymore kind of approach. And there's a lot of things wrong with that, but I really did like what I was doing and that's where most of it came from. It was kind of a passion to grow and learn. And I I think I had the energy to to do the work I was doing and I figured, you know, why not work until it's time to go to sleep? (laughs) And repeat, wash and repeat, wash and repeat.
4: You know, I put in the hours because guess what? I was commuting both ways with Dad, so that meant you were leaving late. So I was doing all my transmittals and submittals down, and all of a sudden you'd hear that the ding of the PA system. John White, go get the car. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. We hear from our father now on the weekends when he sees us busy around the house, hey, you guys got to learn to take it easy and... and, and and we look at him and say, you know, did you forget who raised us? Like uh, weekends for my dad, his, his, uh, his release, um, if he wasn't going into the city that Saturday, his, his release was to fix up old apartment buildings and apartment houses and physically work hard.
0: Even with several summers of experience under their belts already, their first few years of full-time work may have felt like a baptism by fire at times. But Jim, John, and Eugene all knew that help was never too far away.
4: Obviously, in the early days, we we're a very, very young company. You know, a lot of us came right out of college. You know, so in the early days, for me, it wasn't that early because my father joined the company in 1977, and my first experience working part-time was 1982. So I got to really experience the company as it started to grow. But the one thing that never changed was the family atmosphere within Structure Tone. So Quite honestly, some of our first project managers when I was working as a superintendent were only two or three years older than me. Uh, so it was, a, it was a culture of, you know, we'll figure it out, but we've got your back. Uh, I'll never forget, I use this quote all the time, the first solo job I had at a very young age uh, my father's director of operations basically said, you're way over your head, kid, but we'll keep an eye on you. <laughs> and, and that was really what it was. It, you know, it wasn't that we were out on an island because the support from the leaders of the company were right there. I mean, you were dealing with the owners of the company, if not their, their first lieutenants. So that experience was unlike today, where maybe we're a little more patient in the development of our staff. Back in the early days of structure tone, you were basically pushed into the pool and you figured out how to swim really quickly. And by the way, that was a lot of fun.
3: Prior to becoming a corporate executive and and overseeing offices, in my growth and development in in what I would describe as was a rotational program, um, after I went through operations and estimating, I was uh, shipped off, so to speak. Uh, The markets had changed in New York City, they became relatively slow. And I got a phone call from my father one day, uh, you know, he asked, do you have a passport? And I said, yeah, I have a passport. What's, what's going on? And, uh, well, I need you to join a team that's going to go to Spain. We're going to build a hotel for the Olympics. And I said, but dad, the Olympics is in August and it's March. <laughs> So I got a, a good idea of, uh, you know, what we were up against right away, realizing whatever we're going to be doing, it's going to be very fast track and it's probably going to be 24 by seven. And sure enough, that's exactly what it was. It was building what the client asked for it was 18 floors of a fit out for what was the, the five star hotel at the 1992 Barcelona Olympics. And um, ultimately we turned over 22 floors and I had the chance to work as a superintendent in a remote location like that under very, very challenging circumstances. It was a seven day a week job, but I worked alongside some of our best builders. We had pulled a team together from across the company and we delivered more than what the client was asking for and that was just a great experience for a 24, 25 year old.
0: By joining the company so early on, Jim, John and Eugene were some of the first to experience the family atmosphere that the company founders and their day-one recruits built.
3: The culture is really the same that I remember for 30 over 30 years now. Based in real teamwork and, and a family culture feel, people that really, really care about each other in a way that you might see in a family, to be honest.
0: This culture was on full display at the infamous company picnics.
3: I have to say, at a certain age, I would look forward to the company picnic the entire year. Once the picnic was over, I'd be already looking forward to the to the next to the next year picnic because you're thinking boy that was not only fun but we're going to do something even better and different the next year and it never failed to be a great day the softball was one of the legendary components of the of the picnic quite often we would split into two different teams and the recruiting would start weeks in advance of the picnic and then by the time the picnic came it was a full-on like world championship level game i'll never forget my father one time when i was going up the bat him yelling at the team saying, losing's not an option. <laughs> and the look in his face was he's very serious. He's not kidding. He, he wants to win this game and we better not let him down. We were very competitive as a family, as a company, as a culture. And I think it came out very clearly at the picnic the competitive spirit amongst the executives and the leadership my father and his partners that they all had a real competitive edge but man could they have fun at the same time it was really a full-blown view of who these people were that built this company there was always a big barbecue going on there was animals you know petting zoos and my father once rode out on an elephant i remember him and his and the senior folks in the company they were in a in a big pen that got set up and they were chasing pigs around that were greased up and it was all for a laugh you know it was all meant to be fun and the amount of laughing that went on you know was legendary it was just something you never forgot you know I remember it like it was yesterday now even today we still try to find ways to bring that out uh, in the company and create that atmosphere as often as we can I don't think we've lost the family culture aspect of who we are over anything else there's nothing we believe in stronger than working like a family and treating people like they're in a family. You know, we've never been perfect, but that's what we go for. That's what we kind of love about the organization is that human touch part of it. And that even translates to how we view our clients, clients for life, kind of like a family member.
4: Well, I love the picnic so much that I actually chaired it for many, many years with my cousin, Kieran Mulvey. But the early days, I remember when I was dating my now wife, uh, she'd come to the picnic And I'd basically say goodbye to her when we walked in because literally softball was from the time you got there to the time you left, probably six games and then very sore for three days afterwards, both your head and your body. But the picnic was one of the things that everybody in the company looked forward to year after year. We used to have it on a Saturday uh, up in Rockland County. And there was very rarely a year that we didn't have at least one ambulance show up. (laughs) But the highlight of the picnic, besides just the camaraderie and seeing everybody's family, was Pat Donnie. My father knew nothing about softball, but he knew that the softball game at the end of the day of the picnic was really the, the highlight. But Pat figured out his strategy a little earlier than my father did. Obviously, we were all very good at baseball and now then softball, but Pat knew who the best players were from. We did have a structure tone <laughs> softball team that competed on Randall's Island in the early days. Well, Pat, you know, what we tried to do, and again, I was one of the organizers, we put all the different colored hats into a bag and you had to reach in without seeing what color hat you got. And that's how we picked teams. Well, for the championship game or the all-star game, as they called it, Pat basically took eight or nine hats and put it in his own bag and walked around and was handing it to Scott Cornaby and Don Rodenheiser and his son Jimmy and all of the you know really, really good players. Well, my father caught on to that after a couple of years because I pointed it out to him. And literally, we used to have almost like the the Donahue, the Donahue clan versus the White clan in, in a very, very intense softball game. But in typical structure-tone fashion, when the picnic was over and we were all very young at the time, some of us just getting married, uh, we'd say, OK, well, where are we going? And we'd end up in Nyack or we'd end up somewhere nearby finishing the picnic at a, at a local bar. But again, spending time together, as much time out of work together as we did at work, which was always special.
2: We have many, many, many photographs of uh, myself and my younger sister and many of the kids of, of, of the employees and the, and the team at STI getting camel rides when we were too small to even think about getting up on top of them, right? Or milking cows or the the egg tosses and the water balloon fights and the dunk tanks. So-
4: um, A tug of war with an elephant.
2: And, <laughs> a tug of war with an elephant. You know, as John mentioned, he, he ran a lot of the picnics and, and I try to help out with the registration process. And I can tell you there would be a line with carriage after pram after carriage being pushed into these. And we had- Uh, live music, and just a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal day.
0: With such tremendous growth over the last 50 years, stewards like Jim, John, and Eugene are determined to pass on the company's foundational values.
3: You know, I, I cherish where we came from, and I feel like that's something, it's a little bit of a mission of mine personally, to make sure that we never get too far away from what I know we're really good at and what we're all about, what we stand for. And while willing to change and try to adapt to what's new and important in the world around us, not giving up what I know has made us who we are, and not forgetting that we didn't start this company and that we didn't create a lot of what is in the ingredients and the DNA of what made us a great organization in the first place. But bringing it to this next level, I've been in this job over 22 years, and, you know, I've seen the uh, the top line grow four times, almost $2 billion to four and then six and then eight. So we've done it in a very successful way, but we've stayed true to the things we're good at. And things like this, a small project, is still extremely important in this organization. And um, a long-time client relationship and a tenured employee, somebody who's been here for decades, those things are really, really important to us and special to us. And while we grow, it might get harder to pay attention to those little details. But I know I and quite a few other people here are holding tightly onto those things because we believe that those are the the real ingredients in the culture that make us as strong as we are.
0: And are excited for what the future holds.
4: The growth of the company has been phenomenal in our 50 years, but it's certainly because of our predecessors. Um, Not that I want to take any credit away from the rest of us now old guys, but the foundation that was built by Pat, by Lou, and then my father, really stuck with a lot of the core of this company and we were able to teach the next generation on what it really takes to to not only um, have a client first philosophy but to be a great builder and be proud of the work you do day in and day out so i guess what i'm most proud of is what the next generation has done to date on the path that our parents and our leaders really pushed on us and, and mentored us by and as i said earlier i can only hope that our impression on the next generation of leaders in the company will bring us to that next level of, of a, you know establishing our company even stronger not only here in the new York uh, tri-state market but across the country
3: so you know the other thing is I'm excited about the next generation of uh, kids that are coming up in this company every time I go to one of these emerging leader programs that we have or even meet the RPE groups I, I just can't believe I'm much smarter than they they are today than, than we were back in the day. I'll tell you this, the young kids today are far smarter and they're gonna do a better job than we did. And I'm looking forward to seeing that transition happen one of these days where they slowly take over the management positions and uh, people like me get out of the way and let them come up. So that's gonna be fun and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, you know, the next decade or so with them and, and grooming them and mentoring a lot of those new rising stars as they call them.
0: Thanks for listening to episode two of Structure Tone's 50th anniversary oral history series. We'll be hearing plenty of stories about Mr. Donahue and Mr. White from those they mentored, as well as some more commentary from Jim Donahue, John White Jr., and Eugene White in the coming episodes. Up next, we'll be speaking with a brand new group of early day employees, many of whom are still with the company today about what it was like working at Structure Tone in the 80s.